Today I'm going to be sharing with you a message entitled The Standard of True Womanhood. Does God have a special calling for us as women? Today we're going to be looking at four of those areas, but before we begin, I'd like us to consider what women are like today. When we look and consider the role and the model of women in our society and even within the church, what type of thoughts do you have about women today? As I thought about it, these were some of the things that were brought to my mind. The women of today are outspoken, they're bold, forward, aggressive, immodest, and artificial, even uneducated. Does that sound uh, a bit offensive that women today are uneducated? But the uneducated that I'm speaking of here is the not is not being educated in the ways of the Lord and the things He would have us to be as women. This is how women are today. And I realized as I began to look at uh, the role of a woman that when I was a young girl growing up, my mother was a mother in the home. And she was a very modest woman. She was very simple and quiet and reserved and had many of the characteristics that uh, God is calling us to, to have as women. And yet, as I grew older and, and was out of the home, and as I began to be influenced by those around me, influenced by the world, influenced within the church, and I began associating with different people, I found that I began to take up some of these very attributes that I shared with you in the beginning. I became somewhat bold and forward and outspoken, aggressive in uh, my work role. And God is calling to us as women that we not just accept the way that we see women women's behavior and their role today, but that we go back to his word and we look for how he would have us to be as women. The opening verse I would like us to look at first is what I would consider the definition of womanhood, a Christ-like woman. Proud in Proverbs 31 verse 30, it says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. A woman that feareth the Lord... Now, the word favor here, when I read that, I thought, how can favor be deceitful? How can favor, that sounds very positive. That's a good attribute to be in favor with people. How can that be deceitful? And again, the word here, favor, means to show kindness, pleasantness, uh, graciousness. Well, isn't that something that we want to do as women? But yet that's deceitful. Why? Because we as women, we as individuals, whether we're single, are married, we're young ladies or older ladies, we can speak kind words, we can show kindness and speak pleasantness to other people, and yet in our own homes, to those nearest and dearest to us, we can be harsh, we can be critical, irritable, sullen, gloomy, and we are not rightly representing what's in our true heart to those in our home. So we can't just look at that. Favor is deceitful. What we speak on the outside isn't always a true indication of what is really happening on the inside. And our beauty is vain, but a woman who feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. The word feareth here means that we reverence God, that we're submissive and obedient to Him. Simply said, it means that we are loyal to God in all things. That's what it means to fear the Lord, to be loyal to God in all things. And isn't that the gospel? Not my will, but thine be done, Lord. 
We as women are to fear the Lord, to be loyal to God in all that he has given us to do as women. This is the standard of true womanhood. This is our high calling. But we have not understood that. And for too long we've been influenced and affected by those around us. And we have accepted, many of us have accepted subtly or not so subtly a counterfeit standard. And we have lost the um, true understanding of the women that God would have us to be. The women and the young ladies. Today, women are measured by how beautiful they are, by the clothes they wear, by the hair color and eye color they may have, their skin color, their size or shape, or even the length of their eyelashes. All of these things on the outward is how women are measured. And also their intelligence or their aggressiveness to uh, go after some type of work in our in, a, in an activity that they are interested in. And much of how women feel their love, their acceptance, their success is measured by these counterfeit standards. But God has a higher standard for us to look at. I remember that I was, when we were living uh, where we attended a large church, that one summer I had volunteered to help with a vacation Bible school. And one of the women in our church who I looked up to greatly also was involved in the um, vacation Bible school. And I remember coming to the, the school one day and meeting this woman in the hallway. And she had a sundress on. And it really struck me that she would wear a sundress to a church function. It just didn't fit with how I understood her Christian experience to be. But it had an influence on me. And I didn't even realize it until a few weeks later when the church was having their annual church Sabbath afternoon picnic. And when we came home to change our clothes and to get our food, and when I opened our closet, my closet door to get... Uh, something else to wear the picnic, I saw my sundress in there. And I thought, I'll wear that to the picnic. I mean, it's so hot and humid and it's the sun shining so much. Well, this would be very nice to wear. And yet, I didn't, I had this little feeling that it really wasn't the right thing to wear, but I pushed past it because I had been influenced by someone else rather than by what saith my Lord. And I chose to wear that sundress to the church picnic. We don't realize, women, how much we have been conditioned and changed by a false standard. Even this in the children's storybooks from when our girls and boys are very young, that conditioning process starts there. And I know that my girls, when they were little, I like to read them stories. In fact, I still like to read stories to them. They like to read stories to me. But one of their favorite stories as young girls was a story of Queen Esther. And I think a lot of us ladies like that story of Queen Esther. And I noticed... As I read about Queen Esther many times, and as I began to be observant of the pictures about Queen Esther, as the Lord was calling to my heart to look to His way, to His word and His standards, I began to see that the emphasis in the pictures about Queen Esther were developed by man's perception of beauty, not 
by God's perception of beauty. Let me illustrate. When you look at a picture of Queen Esther in a child's storybook or any book about Queen Esther, you will notice that she is made up, jeweled up, and fitted up with clothes to magnify or highlight her shape. All of these are made to, are presenting Esther as a woman of outward beauty. And we know she was a beautiful woman. But that becomes the focus. And in the minds and in our minds, it plants a subtle message that our beauty is, is by how we look and how we, uh, what we wear and the color of our hair and the length of our eyelashes rather than the inward beauty. And as I went back and read the, the book of Esther through again uh, in the recent past, I noticed this that Esther was among many women chosen who were beautiful in the Medo-Persian kingdom. There were many women who were beautiful, and they were brought in to have a time alone of purification before they were prepared individually to be presented to the king. And prior to their uh, them coming into the king as they as the scriptures tell us in Esther the second chapter in the 13th verse as they came in one by one before the king that each woman could choose her own clothing whatever she desired she could choose it however she wanted to put on or or fix herself up to present herself before the king she could make those choices and now if we look at verse 15 we notice something very interesting Now, when the turn of Esther was come to go in unto the king, she required nothing but what the keeper of the women appointed. Esther didn't go in trying to find the most beautiful dress, the most uh, beautiful jewels, or the most beautiful um, makeup, or, or all these artificial things to put on herself. She was happy to simply take what was offered her And she went in before the king. And we're told there in the 15th verse that Esther obtained favor in the sight of all of those who looked upon her. Now, do you think these people in the kingdom were looking at beautiful women on the outward? Yes, all of these women were beautiful on the outside. But Esther obtained favor. And in verse 17, it says, The king loved Esther above all women. Why do you think that the king loved her more? Because Esther understood the standard that God gave as a true woman. The inward beauty, that's where her heart was. She was a woman of Proverbs 31, 13. She was that woman who feared the Lord, who who was loyal to God in all things, who was submissive to him. And her heart was right. And her demeanor, her countenance, the air, the ore about her bore an influence that was different than the other women. Was she beautiful? Yes. But she had a beautiful inside that matched her beauty on the outside. And God used that to bless many people. And God wants to use us to bless many people. Those in our own homes, those of our own families, those within our church, those within our neighborhoods, and then reaching on out from there. So today, let us look at four areas of the of standards that God has given us as women. 
These four areas I'll be sharing with to you today are the four areas, are four of the areas, I should say, that God has specifically addressed in my life through His Word, through the uh, association with other people. And He's brought this these areas to my heart. And I'm going to just say what each of them are, and then we will discuss each one individually. Modesty, simplicity, humility or meekness, and true education. These things, these are the ways that God wants us to show our inward beauty of Him working in us. These are the areas that God has brought to me in my life. The first one I'd like to share with you is the area of modesty. Now, many of you will become defensive when we hear the word modesty because I know from my own experience I have. Not every one of you, but many of you will. What do you mean modest? Nobody's going to tell me what I can wear. But I'm not here to tell you what you can wear. I'm simply here to share principles from God's Word, principles that I have seen make an impact and a change in my life and my heart. The word Modesty here is much more than we understand and what I understood it to mean. For our scripture text that I would like us to look at is found in 1 Timothy 2, verse 9 and 10. And all the scriptures that I'll be sharing with you throughout this message uh, are specifically addressing women in the scripture, God's counsel, His call to women, particularly his, his written word to us. God loves us and he has a special role for us as women and he, he talks directly to us. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now here the word modest means more than just modesty as we understand it. It means an orderly apparel. And again, where some people may have a modest, as we understand the word modest, appropriate covering over our bodies, appropriate clothing that's that's, um, covering the way it should, they are lacking in orderliness. And the word here, modest, means modest and orderly. God wants us to have our clothes in order. They're not baggy and ill-fitting, but that they look nice and becoming and that they represent to those people who see us a God of order, that it recommends our God and our religion to people by how we dress. This is the area that God wants us to be aware of, to be arrayed, to be adorned in modest apparel with shamefacedness. Now this word here means that we are bashful towards men. We have a reserve towards men and a reverence for God. Shamefacedness. Our thoughts and our focus is on God and not on men. That we're not forward and bold and aggressive toward men, but that we have a proper reserve and respect. And God wants us to have sobriety. Soundness of mind, that's what that means. Soundness of mind, self-control. That means we're not controlled by our feelings and emotions, but rather that we're, we make decisions and are controlled by principle, by His principle. We have self-control, clear minds to see this is the way of the Lord and to walk in it. This is what God is asking for us in the area of modesty. Now, 
before I was married, and again, this message I want to emphasize applies to women, young and old, young ladies. And I had an experience before I was married. When I was attending college, I took a class called Statistics. And during the term of that class, about halfway through, a young man approached me for help. And I asked him why he would choose to come to me to get help in the class. And these are the reasons he shared. You're different than the other girls in the class. How was I so different? And he said, well, the way you dress. You dress very modestly and you carry yourself very reservedly. You're, 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 you're different. And he had even trouble explaining that to me. And he says, I notice that you apply yourself. I mean, you're on the front row and you're attentive and you're listening and it looks like you understand what's going on. And I said, well, I'm just sitting like that and I'm really applying myself so that I can understand what's going on. And it opened him up to be interested in God from the influence that I bore as a Christian young lady in that class. By my modest apparel, by my shamefacedness, reserved toward him as a young man and a devotion to God, the best I understood it at that age, it was an opportunity that my life could bear an influence to someone else for, the, for God. And God has a work for us to do. And the calling He's given us is that we represent God to all we come in contact with. Another experience I had in the area of modesty in my life that was very impactive was after I was married and had children. My husband and I went to visit a family. And after we were there for several days, I began to observe that the woman in this home always wore a dress. I shouldn't say a, a dress physically, but I mean feminine attire. Maybe it was a nice skirt and a blouse. And it was neat and clean and very simple and very practical for the work she had to do. Why, she would do her dishes and make the food and clean the house and do the gardening and play with the children. And she didn't seem to be inhibited at all but in doing those things with her children and are the activities by the clothes she wore. In fact, she carried herself very modestly, but she enjoyed all those things. And it made an impression on me. And I thought, well, I always thought I had to, you know, wear these these jeans that I was attired in to do all those things because it was more modest. But I as I observed her, it brought something a question in my mind. And I said, I'm going to ask her why she wears a dress all the time or why she wears a skirt all the time in the home. And a few days later, when I asked her, she shared with me this scripture and shared with me her, her experience and her testimony, which I don't have time to share with you, but the scripture I want to share with you. Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter and the 5th verse. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are abomination unto the Lord thy God. All that do so are an abomination. And you know, when I heard that, I thought, I am not wearing men's apparel. I'm wearing women's apparel. Why, the tag on the inside of my jeans says these are women's jeans, size whatever they were. 
And all my clothes were women's clothes. And I was contented with that for a while. But the Spirit again brought that thought back to me. And I had the thought again that came up to me. And then again and again. And I, and I wasn't at rest. And the Lord said in the quietness of my mind, I wanted this resolved. Was I just feeling like I was doing right because I was doing something I had always done? Or was God trying to say for me that there was something different? He was asking of me. And so I was willing to get on my knees and say, Lord, I want to do your will. I want to know what you want of me. And I'm willing. Please show me what your will is. When I was willing to make that commitment and the surrender of my heart, not my will, but thine be done. Remember our Proverbs 3130 woman, a woman that feareth the Lord is loyal to God in all things. That's what I wanted for my life, my individual life. And I came to this reference in Selected Messages, Volume 2, page 478. God designed there should be a plain distinction between male and female dress. And he's considered the matter of significant importance to give explicit directions in regard to it. For the same dress worn by both sexes would cause confusion and great increase of crime. When I read those words, my first thought was the result that I could see that was being discussed and measured in our society by role confusion about increasing crime and violent crime and immorality. And here I saw that there was a link in that that I did not know about. It was far from my mind to understand that. And I felt God was asking me, would I be willing to wear a more feminine attire? Would I be willing to set aside some of those clothes or set aside all those clothes that were masculine, that made me have a more masculine appearance and to refine and to bring about the femininity that God has given to each of us as women? And the result was interesting. I was totally unconscious, unaware of it until after a period of time I began to notice a change in myself and it's like this I began to notice that when I sat on the couch or in a chair that I sat more modestly that I was more reserved to men in general that I wasn't so outspoken in bold that I wasn't so flirtatious and frivolous and foolish in my speaking. I was more quiet and I had no idea that I was any of those things until I had begun to change my dress and I saw the difference. And it wasn't that I was consciously thinking, well, now that I'm wearing a more feminine attire, I'm going to be a nicer lady. I didn't have those thoughts. I, it, it came as a byproduct, is what I'm telling you. But did you notice that I said, I began to be not so outspoken, not so frivolous, not so foolish. God showed me through that experience that on the outward there were changes, but it was not complete without a complete change in my heart. 
and that it wasn't good enough just to be not quite so boisterous, not quite so forward or so loose or so foolish, but that he wanted to take all of that from me and he wanted to work on a deeper level to change my heart within. That's the other area of modesty that I feel is very important for us as Christian women to understand. The modesty that's in the heart, in the deep inner person, in our thoughts. Are our thoughts pure? Are they holy? Are they Christ-like? Are are our thoughts more tending to be... uh, to exalt self, to think that we're more beautiful, that we have more talents, that we are better or superior to others? Do our thoughts, if we are married, do they focus on the weaknesses of our husband? Do we become discontented, dissatisfied with our husbands because they're not very good Christians and because we live with them and we're closely associated with them and we see them in all aspects of their lives. We see their weaknesses very clearly and we have a tendency to become dissatisfied. Those thoughts of dissatisfaction are dangerous thoughts to have. Daydreaming, thinking that perhaps if my husband could just be like so-and-so, he's such a fine Christian man. He has such strong leadership in his home as a priest, as a Christian. And beginning to let our thoughts go off into those channels. God wants our thoughts to be pure and modest, not to allow ourselves to daydream. Because where our thoughts, what our thoughts are will be what we become. Galatians 6 verse 7 tells us this, that whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Our in Proverbs we're told, as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And so I have known of individuals, of women who have had the beginnings of these daydreamings, of these kind of thoughts, these immodest uh, thoughts in their hearts not having the shamefacedness that they needed to have to be a modest, godly Christian woman. And they begin to let their minds wander off into these, um, these areas of thinking, these patterns of thinking. And soon you find those women beginning to uh, share the weaknesses of their spouse with other people, particularly to the individual that they uh, admire and look up to. And the next thing you notice is that, that soon they begin to lose their reserve, their, their uh, Christian reserve toward these people, toward this man. And they become flirtatious and have suggestive behavior. And it can lead into adultery, all from stemming back to the immodest thoughts in the heart, in the inner person. Our words, our behavior, our demeanor and conduct... All are generated from our thoughts. And if our thoughts are impure, our words and actions and all will become impure. God wants us to see that modesty is not just what we clad ourselves with on the outside, but what is really in our heart. To be modest, to have shamefacedness and sobriety in the inner 
thought in life, to be controlled by principle and not by our feelings and emotions, and to ask for His help to overcome those temptations that do and will come to us as women. The second area I'd like to discuss is the area of simplicity. Now this I have found in in the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.13. Again, speaking about women. And withal, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers and busybodies, speaking things they should not. Now, when I read that verse, I thought, I am far from being idle. Well, I have so much happening in my life. I don't have time to do the things I feel like I want to do or need to do. We are not idle people. And I'm sure that you are not idle either in the context of just physical application of the word idle. But the word idleness here does not mean just having something to do. We are not, we are idle from the work of heart preparation. If you notice the woman in this verse, they are wandering about from house to house and they're tattlers and busybodies and speaking things they should not. They're going, going, going uh, with all that's in their thoughts, their plans, their desires, their pressures. And They are not taking the time, as we have not taken the time, to use to prepare our hearts and our home and the hearts of those in our home for Christ to abide in us, that He can work through us. And so I've titled this section Simplicity because our lives are so complicated with a false standard of what women should be doing that we have no time for the heart preparation. You see, in my life, I found that between my job, my educational advancements, my hobbies and church activities, the interests that I had, my gadding about, and my gabbing, did you hear the two words, gadding and gabbing, they kind of go together, that I didn't have time. Weeks could go by, week, a week or two or three weeks could go by, and I would have no thought of my need of a Savior, personally. I would have no thought that today was the day God gave me to prepare my heart for heaven, that there were things He wanted to work in my life in this very day that He needed to, to help me to overcome, and I gave it no thought. I was idle from that work. I was consumed in the other things of life. My life was not simple. It was hectic. And even though we may not, as women, run from house to house to house, or I should say drive around from house to house, gossiping and talking and and sharing and whatever we do, we do the same thing by the use of the telephone. While we can make a tremendous amount of visits in a few hours just by the use of the telephone, and we need to learn to control that. Have you ever gotten Christmas letters in the mail? 
that have expressed the busyness, the hectic pace, the push and pressure that the family is under all through the year. And in a page or two, they're, they're condensing all of the highlights and the pressures of the previous year into a few short paragraphs. And then at the end, they say, and we are looking forward to our Lord's soon return. And I have said the same words as I've been pushed and pressured and in my life has been in chaos. And we can say the words, but is that our experience? Is that really what's in our thoughts? When my husband was gone from us for about a month doing meetings over in Europe, during that time, I learned a very important lesson about this preparation time and the impact about its, its practicalness in the everyday life. Every day that my husband was separated from me in his absence, my thoughts were about him. Every day, my thoughts in my life, I was preparing for his return. Well, I couldn't wait for him to come. And when we did the homeschool lessons, the children and I, I saw that we were preparing uh, those lessons with the thought that daddy will be home soon and I will have done this and I can have some time with daddy then because I'm doing extra work or everything in the home was prepared for his return. Everything in our menu planning was prepared with him in mind for him to return. And the Lord spoke to me and said, is that the same urgency in which you are using every day to prepare for me. And I became much more aware of that daily need to, of preparation in my life. And the Lord says, in order to have it, we have to simplify our lives so that we are not so pushed, so pressured. Our lives are not so hectic and running about here and there that we don't even realize that we are losing that time of preparation. That simplicity in our lives, in my life, first began in the area of cleaning out all of my extra clothes. When I changed my uh, habits of dressing, I had a lot of extra things I didn't need. And so my clothes have been condensed tremendously. Why, I've got a nine-drawer dresser that used to all those drawers have clothing items in it. Now I only have three to three and a half drawers of clothing items and the rest of the drawers store bedding and mending and things like that. Simplifying my life in that area has been a tremendous blessing. In my home, I have discovered that less is best. And that being simple is more restful. I can remember the day I went into a home and it was a small home and everything was in order. And everything was clean. But there weren't a lot of extras around the house. It was simply done. Tastefully done. And as I sat there, I could almost feel rest a restfulness come over me like I could relax. And on the other side, I have noticed that when I have been in situations where I am in homes like mine has been in the past, where it is full of things and the counters are loaded and the window ledges are covered and the piano top is laden, that in that it's like it's overstimulating 
And even though you can sit down to rest, you don't really get the rest and relaxation that you could have from overstimulation. And we see the same thing easily illustrated with a child. If you take a young child and put them in a room with one or two simple uh, toys, they will be contented and happy and quiet and they will entertain themselves much easier than if you take that same child and you put them in a room and there are many toys around them. Everywhere they look, there's this colored blocks and these objects to play with and this to do and that to do and they're fully surrounded by all of these toys. The child becomes so overstimulated that they become aggressive in their behavior. They become loud and boisterous and even violent. Overstimulating us in our homes. And when our minds are overstimulated, it is much more difficult to hear the Spirit of God speaking through His still small voice to our hearts. Women... Are our homes bursting with things that have no value eternally? I've had to look at that in my own life. And I've looked at my kitchen counters. And I've taken off some of those things. I've gotten rid of some of those things. I've put away things. I've stopped my magazine subscription to House Beautiful and Better Homes and Gardens and some of those. Not necessarily because they are evil, but because I noticed that when I took the time to look at them, I didn't have the time I needed in the other areas of preparation. So it it, it redeemed my time by ridding myself of those. Secondly, I noticed that when I looked at them, I almost always saw something that was new, better, and nicer than what I had that my natural flesh desired. And not only did I desire it, but then when I compared it or looked at it in reference or relationship to what I had in my own home, it began to cause me to become dissatisfied with what I had. And it presented a a picture or a, a standard of womanhood by the size of home she lived in and the kind of clothes she wore and how she looked on the outside. But it didn't represent the standard of womanhood that God is calling us to in simplicity and modesty. The third area I'd like to discuss is the area of a meek and quiet spirit. Humility is what I call it. First Peter 3 and we're going to be looking at verses 3, 4, and verse 18. First Peter 3, 3, 4, and 18. Again, these are verses written for women. Women, a woman, should have inward adorning. Isn't that what we've been talking about? And isn't that what Esther had that made her different, unique than all the other women in the realm of the king? The fourth verse says, The hidden man of the heart was really in our hearts. Or... The ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God a great price. A meek and quiet spirit to be soft and gentle, very opposite of the way we would be if we followed the world's way. Meek and quiet, humble, true humility. 
And this humility is a humility in the heart, not just someone who is naturally meek and quiet or more quiet, reserved on the outside, is not a true measure of humility as God measures it, but it's what's in the heart. Let me illustrate. There is a counterfeit humility. It means that when somebody talks to me, I can be sweet, I can be kind, I can be soft-spoken and gentle, and yet in my own home use harsh or severe language, cutting, demeaning language. There's no humility in that. God wants our hearts to manifest true humility in our home with those who are nearest and dearest to us. Whether we're young or old, we need to learn how to be humble. And we as women have not learned what true humility is. God wants to teach us what that is. I remember a situation that we had visiting a family. When our children were quite young, we went to visit a family and they, on their dinner table, had glasses of water and their dishes and the, you know, the plates and silverware and things and then the main dishes on the table. And during that meal, one of my children accidentally tipped over or hit the glass of water and tipped over and it just went slosh out onto the table. I'm sure some of you have experienced that. And in that situation, I found it very easy to be quiet and meek and humble. I mean to speak to my child gently. And I recognize that since we don't have glasses of water on our table at home, that was something different and they weren't used to it. And so they weren't as careful perhaps as they should have been and it went over. But it wasn't too much later than that. In our own home when nobody was around, one of our breakfast meals, we were having cereal and we were going to have grape juice on our cereal. And that same child at the breakfast table goes to get the grape juice or to get something. I don't remember what they were trying to reach. And they hit the pitcher of grape juice. And now you know what the rest of the story is. Slosh all over the table. And it just didn't stop there. It began to run off the edge of the table onto the covered cloth kitchen chairs. Now you tell me, what looks better on a cloth chair? Water or grape juice? But in that situation, the Lord called to my heart, to be soft and meek and gentle with my child, to experience true humility, Him working in me, not to censure and to criticize or condemn, but to have His Spirit in working through that situation with my child. You see, verse 18 of this same chapter in Peter says, "...being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit." That is what God is calling us to. That is true humility. That my flesh, the natural irritations, the natural self, the natural personality or flesh that wants to rise and to speak is subdued, is put aside, is what? Is put to death in 
by the Spirit of God working through us, quickening us to a better course in our life. And God wants to work in our hearts as women in this area, in the area of meekness and humility, to let the world see, to let our family see that His Spirit, that He has the power to deliver us, that He is the God of all flesh, including my flesh, and He can control it if I am willing to submit it to Him. Now, what about the times when there's a difference of opinion? And I'm sure that you've all, like I have experienced, differing opinions in our home or with someone else. What is true meekness in a situation like this? Does it mean that if somebody says something to me, that in order to be meek, I just accept and take up and agree with what they say? God is helping me to see that true meekness and humility will first take what is being said to me and evaluate it by a thus saith the Lord. And if it is something that I need to incorporate in my life and I can see that, that he will give me his power to do it. If it's simply an opinion of I like blue better and you like red better and it's a preference then there's no, um, it's not a moral issue that I would hold my preference or you would hold yours. There is no right or wrong in that. And true humility doesn't just accept what somebody else says and just kind of roll over and play dead. I remember a situation that I had one time when someone had come to me and they had a very different opinion about something than I had. And they began to share with me their perspective. And I thought it was great that they could share their perspective with me. And I appreciated that. But when they were all said and done, I still felt the same way about the situation as I had at the beginning of the conversation. But I was willing at that point to go into prayer and ask the Lord about it and how, what He would have me to think. Or should I be uh, accepting their perspective? Or would it be all right to have mine? I wanted to do His will. And as I prayed and as I thought about it and as I read, I was comfortable with my viewpoint on that matter. And it wasn't too long later that this same individual came back and again started to share with me their perspective a little bit more forcefully a little bit more uh, uh, straightforwardly not in loud tones not in anger irritation but a little with a little bit more force behind it and they began to question why I viewed the situation the way I did and as I shared my perspective they weren't open And they challenged it. And I began to sense that this was a situation where um, they were trying to have me take up their perspective and their opinion. And then a third time, it happened again. And they came back, and this time it was even more forceful. Is that true humility? Is that true meekness? No, it isn't, friends. True meekness, just because we speak softly or in a gentle manner to somebody, 
True meekness and true humility will never force our opinions. It will never force ourselves, our perspectives on another person. And we and take away their freedom of choice and their freedom of consciousness. That is not true humility. It doesn't matter how softly we present it. If we are presenting it with a motive in our heart is to convince them to agree with us, to change their way, to change their opinion or their perspective, to agree with us, that is not humility. It doesn't matter how softly we talk. It is not true humility. And so also we have those situations in our own homes. I have those same situations with my husband. We don't always agree on everything. We have different perspectives about situations that come up in the home, about needs in the home, about activities that we're going to do in the home. We may have differing perspectives or opinions. And both of us are willing to say, What saith my Lord? Isn't that what God would have us to do in the gospel? He came and says, Not my will, but thine be done. And we can get principles from God's word, but we still may have a different perspective on those things. And I can remember one time we were sitting at the kitchen table and we were having a discussion about one of these uh, areas in our home that we, my husband and I, had a differing perspective and opinion on. Neither one was right or wrong. It wasn't a... um, You know, his is the right spiritual principle and mine isn't or vice versa. It was simply a difference of opinion and understanding about the the situation we were talking about. And he was talking and the children were interjecting and I was sharing my perspective. And then we kind of came to a somewhat of a conclusion, but not an entire conclusion. And I began to re um, restate what what. I was understanding in, in my uh, perspective in a different way because I didn't feel like he or the children really understood what I was saying. You've been there before, I'm sure, where you don't feel like you're really being understood. And my husband looked at me and he said, Honey, I think you've said enough. I think we know what you mean, or we know what you mean, and you don't need to speak any more about it. That was hard to my flesh. And the Lord called to my heart. He quickened me by His Spirit. He, he said, are you willing to be put to death in your flesh? Because when He spoke those words, well, what authority, what right does He have to say that to me? I have the right to express myself the way I think it should be. But God put this thought in my mind. Ephesians five twenty two and 23, the principle that wives are to submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. And I was willing to hear the Spirit's voice, and I was willing to submit unto the Lord. And when I was willing to do that, now the Lord was saying, will you submit to your husband? Yes, Lord, I will. Because it wasn't a moral issue. It wasn't a violation of moral principle. God was saying, will you ch- show your husband your children, true humility by allowing me to work in you, to humble you in a meek and quiet way. And it was a tremendous victory in my life and a tremendous encouragement and testimony in my own home. The fourth area I'd like us to consider in the standard of true womanhood is that area of education. 
And I'm talking here about the education first that God would have us to have. To be uh, educated in the domestic duties of the home. To know how to be a homemaker. And this is an area that is sadly lacking today in society. It's sadly lacking within Christian homes. We have accepted a false standard that women need to be out into the workplace and that the home duties are menial and insignificant and they're unimportant and that is not God's standard. It is the most important work that God has given us to do, especially if we have families. That is the most important. And so the text for this I would like to use is found in Proverbs 31 verse 27. Proverbs 31, verse 27. She looketh well to the ways of her household and eateth not the bread of idleness. Looking well to the way of our household applies to all of us as women, whether we're single or not, even you young ladies and girls. It applies to all of us to have a practical understanding in application of the domestic duties in our home so that we know how to cook our food healthfully. We know how to make it tasty and nutritious. That we know how to keep a home in order. That our home will rightly represent the order of heaven and the God that we serve. That in our home we know how to um, keep it clean and neat. That we can simplify our home as we talked about earlier to redeem those hours, those minutes of a day for the preparation work. And in doing this home work that God has given us in this role of education, that is a preparation process to work in our own hearts. Notice the reference from Evangelism, page 261. The young, the work that you are doing to help our sisters feel their individual accountability to God is a good and necessary work. Long has it been neglected. But when this work is laid out in clear, simple, definite lines, what's the work of our individual accountability to God? Hasn't that been what we've been talking about? God's standard for us as women, the high calling He's given us? When it's laid out in clear and simple and definite lines, we may expect that home duties, instead of being neglected, that we have no time for them, that we have a greater work to do, instead of being neglected, will be done more intelligently. Isn't that interesting? To be done more intelligently. This is the education God is calling us to. This is what he would have us to do. It is an education that is fitting us to keep our minds fixed upon the mark that God has called us to, our high calling in Christ Jesus. This is the education God has given us to do. And everything around us in our society and even within the church is pushed and pressured and fast food and microwaves and babysitters and preschool and all of these activities running here and there that we have no time for the work, the humble duties of the home. I found that when I was willing to address this area in my life, and this was not an easy area for me to address, because I enjoyed doing all those other things, but I found out the greater joy that God had for me that I didn't even know existed until I was willing to say this, Lord, I want to be 
part of my experience. I see that you're asking me to become educated in domestic home duties. And that doesn't just mean how to keep a house clean. That means also that we learn how to relate to our spouse and to our children. And if we are not yet married, then we begin to study those principles so that if we find ourselves in that role later in our lives, that we have the foundation to work from in that interaction. I found that learning by God's ways to keep my home in order has redeemed great amount of time. A lot of time that was wasted because of my disorder. And the other thing it's done is decreased irritation and frustration because it's much easier when we know where things are kept and we can go get them. And we don't have to be frustrated because we're waiting and it's not here yet. And it takes 5 or 10 or 15 minutes to find it. And God is helping me to see that I need to be thorough in all things, no matter how little they may seem, that my life in my home may become in order. Does this mean then that women should not have any other education than home and domestic duties? No. I would encourage you to read Adventist Home, page 91, because there it gives the balance. It tells us that young ladies should be educated or trained in a trade or an occupation that if in life they are called or or circumstances change that they need to work, And those circumstances aren't that uh, we need a newer car and that kind of thing. But I mean, if there's real deprivation, if there's a real crisis in the home, that those young ladies now in their womanhood know how to work and how to do uh, a trade or an occupation or profession that they can take care of the needs in their family should that uh, be their circumstances. But notice here this sentence. Passing over the honorable employments, every girl should learn to take charge of the domestic affairs of her home and should be a cook, housekeeper, and seamstress. This is the education God is calling us to as women and then as wives to be a true helpmate to our husband, to learn to honor and love and respect them. That takes time in God's word to understand that true deeper or shall I say higher education to not just look at their weaknesses but rather to look at the strengths they have and let them know we appreciate them and encourage them and then for the weaknesses that we see which we will see to first be on our knees to the Lord and ask them ask him to help our husband overcome it and that through our humility through our character, through our lives, our hearts, that we can be used to help our husbands to overcome those weaknesses, but first on our knees. And then as mothers in the home, to learn how to raise our children, to be children for the heavenly king, to take time to help them overcome their weaknesses and to build their characters after the similitude of Christ. God has standards for us as women specifically women who have children. He has these standards and he's calling us to, uh, to look at what they are. In the school lesson, when my child finds it hard to do and they don't feel like they can conquer the math lesson, 
to work with our children and help them to gain the victory over that giant that looms over them in despair that says, I cannot, and they can with Christ. Learning these things is the education that we as women need. God has given us as women a high calling, a work for us to do that is specific to women. In closing, the the passage I'd like to share with you is found in Testimonies, Volume 2, page 465 and 66. Women may have a transforming influence if they will only consent, notice the words only consent, to yield their way and their will to God and let Him have control of their mind, affections, and their being. This is what we've been talking about, that God wants to use our minds, our affections, and our beings in His control to be an influence that will help to transform others, a transforming influence. Continuing on a little further, God has assigned woman her mission, and if she, in her humble way, yet to the best of her ability, makes a heaven of her home. Makes what of her home? A heaven of her home. Faithfully and lovingly performing her duties to her husband and children, continually seeking to be a holy light from her useful, notice these words, useful, pure, and virtuous life to brighten all of those around her. She is doing the work the master has left for her to do and will hear from his divine lips these words well done good and faithful servant those are the words that i want to hear god has given us a special calling as women and i know each of you like i want to hear those words well done thou good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of thy lord a good and faithful servant who's been willing to surrender self and do God's will to be loyal to God in all things. That's the standard He is calling us to. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org